Hello guys, welcome to the next episode of the Challenge Podcast. And today what I have in store for you is, first of all, we're going to, of course, chat about Oirash, Buenos Aires and Nontaburi, the free challenger events that we had this week. There's also going to be that Australian Open qualifying section. I'm recording this on Sunday afternoon, by the way, like evening, maybe even in Europe time, of course. So this is after the first day of the Australian Open. So if any of these qualifiers already played, I'm also going to mention that. I'm also going to mention who they're playing if they haven't played yet and whether I think, you know, their chances are okay or not. Then we're also going to do, of course, match an upset of the week from the Challenger circuit and then preview the four events that are incoming. So I think it's a pretty, um, you know, steady, um, easy to understand lineup. We start with the Challenger recaps. We go, we do the Australian Open qualifying, match upset of the week, and then the Challenger previews. So let's just start with the recapping. As usual, I think we're going to go to Nontaburi first, a Challenger 75, of course. And do you know who it won it? Valentin Vacheron, again, this is his third Challenger title, all of them in Nontaburi. 2022, he won the first event, then was in the quarterfinals of the second. In the third one, I think he was uh, in the, he lost in the first one to Santillan. And uh, now he also wins them back to back. In fact, he was even supposed to play the third one and he withdrew because he didn't get a special exempt because, you know, there's no scheduling conflict since Nontaburi and Oeiraj, their, their finals were, were on Saturday this week. I guess in order to allow someone to potentially make it to the Australian Open, in the case of Nontaburi at least, uh, Oeiraj, it probably wouldn't work out in, in anyway. But what I'm trying to talk about, uh, Valentin Vachero, I think he's really like watching the final and some other matches this week. I just was really under the impression that he is not playing caveman tennis anymore, you know, that he is actually starting to construct the rallies in a pretty, you know, understandable fashion, that he's actually able to use that steady, big pace that he has, and yeah, produce some really nice points with it. So I do think this is a step forward. He will now be in the top 200. So there's a lot of opportunities coming up for Vashro at the challenger level where I think he theoretically should do fine, but I also thought that in 2023 and um, yeah, for the most part, he was kind of off. He, he mostly had big runs in um, at the 25K level. But anyway, this 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 run, he um, defeated Ramanathan, who, by the way, is like coming back to form, really, for, for, for sure. He beat Sandgren as well. He beat Denis Novak, got a walkover from Arthur Ferry, and Manuel Guinard, then that, that was his final opponent. Speaking of Guinard, he beat him 7-5-7-6 in the final. And Guinard, by the way, in the couple of weeks in Nontaburi, he's also not going to play the third week, although I think he's only playing doubles in the in the third week, in fact. But in the, he, in the first two weeks in Nontaburi, he only lost to Vashro, except one of them was a final qualifying round, and the other was a final, which is a pretty nice sort of quirk. And uh, this time he, of course, was starting from the main draw. The second event in Nontaburi was the weakest one because a lot of players were at the Australian Open qualies. But basically he beat Langmo, Jason Jung, Brandon Holt, Rio Noguchi, and then lost to Vashro. Perfectly fine run. He is getting like back into the top 300, which I think, especially in the second half of 2023, he was still showing that like he belongs there. It was just the start to 2022, uh, to, sorry, 2023 that was pretty horrific for him. But yeah, I mean, two weeks so far and two losses to Vashro, who clearly is playing very well. So I think Guinard is also doing perfectly fine. Just was getting like pushed behind the baseline a little bit. But we know that this is a player who likes like waiting around and sort of just responding but at the same time like blasting his shots but that's like from two meters behind the baseline that's his comfort zone more or less so it, it could be hard for him to sometimes respond to someone like Vashro. but then again he was pushing him like he was really pushing him he made him work for the um you know in order to close out the sets in both cases so at least that's something that he did very well rio noguchi one of the semi-finalists uh not that big a story here, but I also have to mention that in Nontaburi, he, uh, the opening event, he managed to make it for the qualifying, lost to Vashro in the opening round. And then in the second event, he also wins like a few nice matches. Uchida, Uchiyama. Uchiyama was via retirement though. So mostly Uchida, I would say. Sharipov as well in the final qualities round. And he manages to make it to the semis where he loses to Guinard. So this was a couple of very solid weeks to start the year for Yonoguchi. Uh, certainly like losing to Guinard and Vashro clearly at this event is no... Uh, nothing that someone should be ashamed of. My winner pick was Arthur Ferry in the semis. And I I have to say that while I didn't get a pick this week, uh, I I didn't get a point this week, sorry. I think you're going to see that my picks were pretty good. Uh, Ferry was in the semis. He beat Yonel Caruso Moria. Like it was so clean for him. Then he was supposed to play Vashro. He was the 
minor favorite in this matchup for the bookies. And unfortunately, he had to withdraw because of an injury. I think it was like his right elbow. And uh, I was afraid of that because I saw that he pulled out of the doubles with Joshua Paris, where, of course, they were uh, defending the title from last week, sort of. And uh, I saw that he pulled out uh, the night before he was supposed to play Vacheron. And I was like, okay, so maybe he just doesn't want to play doubles because he's so deep in singles. He won doubles last week. But no, he actually also had to pull out of the singles in um, in Nontaburi. So that's a bit of a shame. Hopefully the issue will be resolved quickly because, yeah, the way he was dispatching his first three opponents here, it really made me think that I might be onto something with, with Ferry claiming the title here. Of course, that didn't eventually happen, but he is unbeaten for the year, you know, in singles and in doubles, in fact, because in doubles with Joshua Paris, they withdrew, right? So in doubles, he's five and zero, and in singles, he's three and zero. And uh, when it comes to the uh, the doubles, yeah, as I, as I was going to mention it, uh, in doubles in Nontaburi, this time Ferry and Paris withdrew, and the titleists were actually Marcel, Manuel, sorry, Manuel Guinard and Grégoire Jacques, a pretty popular pairing recently on the Challengers Tour. I mean, when they won four titles in 2023, the record with each other is actually 21 and four. And it's also pretty funny to think about that they lost to Ferry and Paris in Nontaburi, so sort of similarly, like, Guinard was just losing to Vachero, Guinard Jacques were only losing to Ferry Paris, and if, if that pairing was no longer in the picture, they won the title over Alcantara and uh, Sun. And that's basically it for Nontaburi, we will have one more uh, event in that uh, five venue coming. So uh, it's, not, it's not yet that we say goodbye to Nontaburi. I wish the streaming from that event worked a little better because I think this is the one where like, it's most common to have that weird error where it shows you like random, a random point from the match from before rather than the live footage. As I said uh, last time, I, I notified someone about it. I, I know they, like, they are working on it, but uh, you probably noticed that there was a lot of issues with Challenger streaming this week. And generally, since the beginning of the season, despite the graphic update and the uh, stream quality improving, the um, sort of faultlessness of the, of the streaming hasn't really been there. But anyway, um, let's get to Oirash, the other 75. Of course, the first event in Oirash was a 50. So now we have a 75. We have a much stronger field. And here it was won by Leandro Ridi in the final over Martin Dam, 7662. And I have to say that, I mean, Ridi was, of course, one of our major prospects for 2023. Everyone was expecting a massive year. Uh, at first, after Canberra, especially when he won, uh, like, he reached the final and lost to Fuchovic, and also the first two matches in Australian Open qualifying, you really felt like this could be his year. Then it got all lost. Some of that was injuries, some of that was just a very poor run of form. But eventually, he finished the year with one win in the last 10 matches. So this is such a big turnaround. And he only had to play one tiebreak. There was only one opponent who took him, the, who took more than three games of him in a set. And that was Martin Dam in the final. In fact, uh, that was probably the toughest match that he had to play. Because you know how Ridi likes to return, right? Like he just absolutely crashes the ball. He takes it so early. And sometimes it can be good against big servers, honestly, because he likes that timing, he likes that rhythm. Sometimes maybe he's even struggling when someone just rolls it in, you know, and he has to generate it all himself. I remember how good he was against Cressy, for example, in Lugano in 2022. Uh, he should be generally very good against like players serving volleying or approaching the net very quickly because, yeah, he just takes it so early, he doesn't give them time. But uh, speaking of Ridi, even in the final, he was able to save one set point, just a clean plus one forehand winner, and then found a lot of good reactions on the dumb serve. Like for the lefty bomb that is coming from Dam's racket, Ridi was like taking it as early as humanly possible. And I, I think it was an absolutely stellar showing as well in the final. On the way he beat McHugh, on the way he beat McHugh, Fanslow, Miller and Elias. And pretty much uh, he is like around the challenger main draw range right now. So he has really uh, returned to a ranking that, well, doesn't fully um, tell us, you know, what sort of player he is yet. That would be like maybe on the verge of the top 100 right now, I would say, when he's speaking. But uh, definitely closer to where he uh, actually is than the 320 ranking that he was um, that he was possessing, you know, before the uh, before the Oirash event. But yeah, very excited to see if this continues. This is a big turnaround for him, and of course, he's a wildly talented player as well. So uh, always good to see that. Martin Dam, uh, the finalist. I think it was this was also a very fine event for him. He beat Hertz, Jab, Souza, and Kopil. Uh, Jab and Souza very tight wins. Uh, then he loses to Ridi. 
I think the, uh, the final, he de you definitely could see that he's getting a little bit tired in the second set, probably needed to take that first set tiebreak. He was close to doing that. Sensational stop volley at 5-6, 15-30, I think. So this was still a very fine week for him. And I think especially comparing to, Ried to Ridi, it's just like a very different trajectory in that Dam was actually firing on, uh, you know, at the end of the year. So he is continuing that form. Ridi completely turns it around, but Dam just continues what he was doing in 2023 and like really makes you think that in a year or two he could be fighting for a top 100 debut himself, you know. And uh, of course that's something that had been long, long, long sort of projected for Martin Dam ever since he was a kid. And it's perhaps taking him a bit, bit longer than we initially expected when we sort of just thought being a tall lefty probably is enough. <laughs> But uh, yeah, he's, he's really getting better and I, I do appreciate it a lot. Then we also have uh, Gastao Elias as one of the semi-finalists. Gastao was of course the finalist in the first OERASH event, losing to Max Kashnikovsky in three sets. Here he beats Ilkal, Queen, Roye and Ridi. Unlike Kashnikovsky, he wasn't running on fumes really, at neither point really of the week. Um, Kashnikovsky lost to Royer in the second round, whereas Royer still lost to Elias, so it was a very good showing overall. Of course, he's been peaking in Portugal ever since the pandemic, like literally whenever he plays in Portugal, he's going to be really good. And the, these two these two weeks, you know, indoors, that's massive for Gastão Elias. He very rarely gets points like this. So, uh, of course, the aim for him this year, I suppose, would be to return to like Grand Slam qualifying stages. And if he can get results like this indoors, perhaps Clay is going to be even better for him. And um, the other semi-finalist was another veteran, actually, also 33 years old, Marius Kopil. Some insane matches this week, uh, starting from, well, from the qualifying, it wasn't insane there. He was actually beating guys pretty straightforward in pretty straightforward fashion. But then the Andreev round one, uh, where he was blowing match points, he was so close to winning, then was so close to losing, then eventually takes it 8-6 in the tiebreaker. Uh, Martino may be another free setter, but a, a, you know, a simpler decider. But then against Morocanias, such a mess as well. I mean, the, the match just goes back and forth. He wins 9-7 and seven in the deciding set tiebreak, and it almost reaches that same stage, almost the deciding set tiebreak again in the match against Dam in the semis. And 7-5, uh, of course, was the uh, actual scoreline for Martin in the final. When it comes to Kopil, uh, by the way, great stuff from Oeiraj this week was the on-court interviews. And the interviewee was, I mean, the interviewer was, was maybe a little, um, like, clearly she didn't know much about tennis, I would say. But, uh, you know, just listening to the players, just having that opportunity when they're walking off the court, at least on center, of course, on a challenger stream, that was really cool. Copy said things like he's going to return to, the, he wants to return to the top 100. Well, good luck with that. But similarly <laughs> to Gastao Elias, I think a Grand Slam qualifying range return is uh, likely. Well, likely not, maybe is not the right word. It's, it's possible. Oh, yeah, that's what I wanted to say. Even if, if he's pretty much, you know, long past his prime. Uh, but yeah, it was a, it was another fun week in Oedash as well. These these Portuguese challengers seem to be organized like very well, and uh, honestly, it's also one of my dreams to go to one. It's also achievable, right? Like it, it's not a flight that's going to cost me a fortune. So I think it will happen at some point. Let's say in the next two seasons, I will probably visit the challenger in Portugal. Uh, and when it comes to the doubles, we've had a Polish title pick up uh, the trophy. And that was, of course, Karol Żewiecki and Piotr Matuszewski. They didn't play in the opening week, but they come here and they win the title. They beat Arjun Kadhe and Marcus Willis in the final. Marcus Willis, the legend, was trying to go for his third title in a row. And yet, uh, this time it didn't work out. It would have also been third title in a row with three different partners for the Will Bomb, for the legend of Wimbledon 2016. But the Polish pairing proved too strong. This is their second challenger title together. First one was in Montevideo in uh, 2022. And uh, that was back then, it was uh, Matuszewski's first challenger title. As a matter of fact, uh, he now has, I think, three of them and all of them with Poles, two with Zawiecki and one with Szymon Kieran in Tampere last year. Uh, anyway, we also have that third event in Buenos Aires, which finished just now. I'm literally recording this like 15 minutes after the Buenos Aires uh, event was, was wrapped up. And that one was won by Gonzalo Bueno over Dimitri Popko. So, how to even unpack this is, is uh, a question that I have, <laughs> and I don't know, because the final was 
Wow, the final was something. Oh, and by the way, I didn't say that Joao Souza was my winner pick. So that that one, you know, Irash was a little a little weaker. You know, six two seven five, I think, in the in the quarters to Dam. He still made the quarters, so it was pretty okay. But yeah, Gonzalo Bueno, uh, the former junior world number five, he wins the title in uh, Buenos Aires. He was coming from the qualifying draw, uh, just like his uh, final opponent, Dimitri Popko. In the qualifying, he already lost like two sets and had to come back from a set down to, uh, twice to Van Kahn and Rodriguez. But then actually is much better in the main draw. Uh, I think Bueno, like... The Challenger 50 category is a perfect springboard for him right now, because you might remember that the last couple of years, Bueno only really had two deep runs at the Challenger level, both of them in Lima, so at home. And I remember him showing up in that Lima 2022 event, and he was such an exciting player there. That has sort of maybe been, I I don't want to say eliminated from his game, but certainly he is not as ballsy as he was back then. But I think what, what really made a lot of difference early on in the final against Popko was that compared to some other opponents of the Kazakh this week, he is like way more all-rounded and it wasn't just enough to make him play one more ball. When uh, Bueno was leading the points, he would construct them pretty well. He would find the drop shot some, some, sometimes in like a, uh, you know, the best possible moment. So it was a tough one for, for Popko initially. But then in the end, I think the match was mostly on the Kazakhs' racket anyway. Bueno was up 4-1 in the third with a double break. But it was like through massive error sprees from Popko. Popko just couldn't keep the ball in play at all in some games. Then he actually starts winning. He has three match points at 6-5. At bueno saves them all. And uh, then the tiebreak was just another series of horrible points from Popko. Uh, honestly, the Buenos Aires final was, was pretty low quality, especially in that third set. <laughs> Maybe the first was pretty good. But yeah, once Popko actually realized that he cannot just give the ball back to Bueno like he did in a couple of other matches, he started pushing him around and, and he was definitely the better player. But well, what matters in the end is that Bueno was the one who was more like cool in the key moments, was the one who managed to keep himself inside the lines and um, he managed to prevail as well. But yeah, as I said, this is a really good uh, opportunity for him because he was a player sort of looking for that big challenger breakthrough. And that's what the challenger 50 category is for. And in a way, Dimitri Popko also counts because since the injury that made him skip like half a year at the end of 2022, beginning of 2023, he was really struggling at the challenger level. He was struggling to get a run. And of course, we know that he is a a quality player, you know, that from time to time, even though, of course, there are some issues like the fixing, which is very common for him. I don't know if still, if after his his return, he still does it, but it definitely was in the past. And... um, yeah, I mean, he, he is a bit of a mess for sure, in general. And um, the final probably showed it pretty nicely that when he was playing sort of focused, when he knew what he was doing, he was really just bossing Bueno around, I would say. But then, yeah, the last game, the, the tie break, the five, six match points. Yeah, that, that was a bit rough to watch as well. He was like glued to the floor, you know. He would he was not moving anywhere anymore. He was like super tense. And um, that's a bit of a story of Popko's career, like that sometimes he's just unable to miss. Literally, you can throw him 100 balls, he's going to make it all back. He's going to be, you know, a nightmare for you to hit through. And sometimes he's just going to feed you these random errors all the time. But anyway, of course, it's still big for him to make this final. I believe that uh, in the long run, he can still be like a challenger player. But whether he's going to be back in the, uh, to serve the peak of his career, which, is, which was around 160 in the rankings. I think that sort of remains to be seen. Definitely the level that we saw this week wasn't quite peak Popco yet. Maybe in a couple of occasions, but um, the final also leaves a bit of a sour taste. And I think for him, it's also going to be a pretty tough loss. Uh, then one of the semifinalists, and also my pick, was Joao Fonseca, the 17-year-old, the junior world number one. And honestly, he was pretty insane. I have to be satisfied with this pick because he made the semis. And I think I said it that basically I would have to say that Fonseca is able to win this event. Like he definitely has the ability. And if something stops him, it's probably his own inexperience, which I think in a way happened. Uh, He had a horrible set against Felix Gil in the opening round, but he recovers from that. And then he just starts blasting through the players. Murkel Delian, he has a big choke in the opening set, still wins it though. And Gianluca uh, Mager, especially in the quarters. Gianluca Mager, by the way, returning from injury with a pretty good event, 
but he was thrashed by Fonseca. Like there was nothing that Magar could do on a, on a good day of the Brazilian. Someone that could do something, and I actually didn't like that matchup for him stylistically at all, was Dimitri Popko in the semis. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, Popko just made him play one more ball, made him play one more ball, and made him play even more balls. And uh, that, of course, for Fonseca, who is like a little wild, sometimes maybe a little overly confident in his shots. He just takes it all down the line, risks it on every single occasion. Like for, for someone like Fonseca right now, this is a tough matchup. And Popko managed to beat him 6-2, 6-4, in fact. So I, I think this is still perfectly fine. And if anything, Fonseca just showed us, yeah, he's ready to contend for events like this. Like you throw him into five of these Challenger 50s and I think he wins one of them. I, I really think Fonseca might win a Challenger title this year. I think this is very possible. Uh, and it would be a, a huge achievement, obviously. Uh, I don't know if he's quite ready to like go the Alex Mickelson route of you know being signed up for, committed to college and then actually not going there. We'll see about that because that would require some massive results, I think, for him to reconsider. But um, yeah, that was that was another insane display of strength. I, I said on a group chat this week that uh, if Fonseca doesn't make like doesn't become a top player in the future, we should all quit tennis. And I, I stand by that. Like I, I really don't understand how he wouldn't. With also how how smartly his career is led and like what sort of team is behind him, but but also with yeah, just the insane talent that he possesses. And the other semi-finalist, also Nate Joao, also from Brazil, was Joao Lucas Reis da Silva. As you guys know, that's like one of my underrated gems of the uh, South American circuit. I mentioned that on the uh, one of the off-season pods that I did with uh, Alex Graskin, the Challenger Awards. Uh, he managed to beat Lavagno, Sakamoto, Alves, and then lost to Bueno. I think um, I've said it many times that like once this guy is able to play, maybe like trust his backhand a bit more. That's for the most part, and also that's it for the most part, and also. Yeah, just not ball bash. Like just be able to like be more selective about his power and about his forehand cannons. I think he could actually have a very big rise. I don't know if top one hundred like that might be a little much, but the 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 forehand absolutely is of that quality. Uh, but anyway, yeah, that was still a, a solid run, so cannot complain at all. Definitely not. And when it comes to the doubles in Buenos Aires. That was actually picked up by uh, Huertas del Pino and Huertas del Pino. So the two Peruvian brothers, Conor and Arklon. In fact, I believe this is like their second challenger. No, third even. Oh, okay, never mind. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure, but yeah, it's their, it's their third challenger title over the years. Uh, definitely a pretty solid pairing. And I think if they, if they're, if they, especially when the event is like a touch weaker, like this challenger 50, they're always going to be in the mix potentially. And uh, the top seeds, I think, here were Arias Zeballos. So it was a bit of a surprise early on that they lost to Ambrogi and Midon. And I think that really cleared the way for a potential team that maybe usually we wouldn't expect to be beating Arias Zeballos. And this time that, that winning team was Huertas del Pino, Huertas del Pino. And they eliminated Hokes and Neumeyer in the final. Now this is when, oh, maybe let's do much an upset of the week first and then we'll go to the Australian Open qualifying segment. So basically, when it comes to match of the week, I put out the poll. I think Oeiras clearly had the best matches. A lot of these thrillers like Kopil, um, Morokanias, Kopil Andreev, Damjab, uh, Dam Kopil as well. Like any Marius Kopil match really in the main draw could make it. I even considered the final, which I think was really good. So um, I ended up picking two selections from Oeiras. Also Vashro Sandgren from Nontaburi and Bueno Popko, the final. I think I'm gonna still go for the final, like for the for the drama of it all. You know, it was pretty horrible at some in, in the third set. At some points, my eyes were bleeding, but at the same time, any time we have that sort of a finish, right? When you have three match points missed, uh, the drama is like palpable. You can feel that uh, both players are incredibly nervous. The crowd is also going, sort of getting into it. I, I think the the atmosphere of that and, and the whole tension just half an hour ago, honestly, for me, that was probably one of the highlights of the week anyway. Um, for the Challenger poll, I'm not including the Australian Open qualifying. And uh, also upset of the week. Uh, let me think about that. As usual, I'm just sort of glancing at it right now. We've got Maximus Jones beating Evgeny Donskoy. I think that was a pretty big surprise, yes. Uh, now Vishaya Trongchara and Chaikul beating Kassidat Samurai. I get why, but I cannot really go for it. 
Um, Donskoy, though, yeah, that surprised me. I think Donskoy had a very solid uh, non-Taburi one when he defeated Denis Novak and then lost to Goffi on Klen. And then he loses to Maximus Jones in the opening round here. I do think that's a pretty solid pick. It comes to Ayrash, probably not that much If when it comes to upsets, right? I don't think there was anything crazy. And Buenos Aires, I guess, had a couple. So Descote beating Fikovic, but at sea level, I don't think it's that amazing. I mean, Descote is also only really good at altitude, but, well, they're both altitude, um, one of the altitude goats, or at least Descote was a goat for, for one event, of course, that's pretty random challenger title that he got in Cuernavaca or Morelos a couple of years ago. Uh, but um, yeah, I think I think I have to go with that. Maximus Jones beating Yevgeny Donskoy. Maximus Jones definitely, I, I just consider, you know, one of these Thai wildcards that we get to see in Nontaburi or like Bangkok when it was held before. And I never really uh, paid that much attention to him. But he is just 19, you know, he, he actually has a legit chance of improving from here. So um, I'm going to be quite interested to see if, if, that's, if this is doable for him. He's also playing Jason Jung in the opening round in Nontaburi 3, which would be a very good win. And in fact, he's already won two matches this year in the Nontaburi Challengers. So um, yeah, I guess out of all these guys like Samrei, Trongcharo and Chaikul, uh, yeah, he's probably the, the best uh, young Thai player that we've seen really on the challenger circuit in the past couple of years. So um, yeah, excited to see if this is this is something that continues for him. And when it comes to the Australian Open qualifying, this is where we're going at the moment. I'm just going to go section by section through my predictions and through how the players looked, did and who they're playing in the opening round and you know what sort of chances they have. And uh, yeah, looking at the first section, my pick here was Elias Emer who lost in the massive, you know, super tiebreak or whatever, however you want to call it, in the third set tiebreak to Ryan Peniston in the opening round. And Dino Prismic qualified. And honestly, in hindsight, maybe I should have gone Prismic after Quentinalis withdrew. But I don't know. I just felt like Peniston, Imer, these are the sort of players that could beat Prismic in the final round. But by the time they were both out, because he actually didn't need to play either of them, he didn't need to play Peniston because Peniston lost to Aziz Dugas, Prismic was like way too consistent for everyone in the draw. Interestingly, losing a set to Mariano Navone, which uh, is this like a good prognosis for Navone because he's winning a set on, Pris uh, on Prismic and, you know, against Prismic on hard courts? Maybe, because at the US Open and Wimbledon qualifying last year, he was like pretty abysmal. So maybe this is actually a good prediction for Navone. But uh, when it comes to Prismic, uh, you guys definitely have heard about it by now. Of course, I watched it today. Novak Djokovic against Dino Prismic, that was the opening round at um, the Australian Open. And I have to say, I, I have changed my opinion on Prismic a little bit. I sort of had him penciled in as like another Luka Van Asch. And I think that's not happening. I, I, when I watched him against Novak today, that was a pretty insane level. And he just basically backed himself in the rallies against Novak. He was like, okay, I'm just, I'm not going to redline. Like usually when you play a player who's much better than you, everyone tells you to just try to beat them, you know, just step out of your comfort zone, blast the ball, see what's going to happen. And that sometimes works out, yes. But for Prismic, he doesn't really have that quality yet, that edge to his game. And I just figured possibly, like, th that's, that means that he cannot hurt Novak, like, that he doesn't have weapons to hurt Novak. And yes, he doesn't have weapons to hurt Novak, but he actually was out rallying him for a while. When the serve difference wasn't that huge, which was basically just one, like, it was basically only huge in the first set and also in the uh, first four games of the fourth set, Prismic was actually, like, 50-50 against Novak, you know, just a slightly bigger serve, he only really has that, like, one ace out wide for now. And um, other than that, if he like has any shot that would allow him to finish off points of the baseline consistently, and he might be winning this match. Like he, he today, of course, I'm not saying Novak will play like this tomorrow again. Maybe tomorrow Novak is unreachable for him. But today, he actually had serious chances of winning this one if he had a bigger weapon and a, and a better serve. So that was a very promising performance. I think, of course, his, his speed, his athleticism was pretty insane. Uh, the way he was able to play this sort of like Borna Choric style game, game, where he really takes on the pace of the opponent and just drags them. Basically, in the long rallies, I think he was beating Djokovic, not in the short ones, of course. The short ones were really uh, confidently going Djokovic's favor. But yeah, I mean, I, I definitely enjoy Dino Prismic's game a lot more after today. And I'm glad that I got to 
have this sort of eye-opening match. I'm not saying he's not going to have something like, you know, the one against Jumhur in Istanbul that I keep mentioning, or, um, I don't know, just like the, the shocking showing against Nakashima in Canberra last week. He might still have that. Like, he might not be in the top 100 in a month or two. But just by seeing Prismich today, I was sort of thinking, okay, so yeah, this is actually a guy who will get very deep, very far. I think to become like a truly elite player, he needs a few improvements still. So it's not like I was talking completely, you know, BS that um, he's not really that ready yet. But I have to admit that I have been underrating him. I have been a little too harsh on the guy. I, I, I do... I do realize that. I think I was even realizing this earlier. Like, I remember saying that I'm like too harsh on the guy, probably. But I, I don't know if I fully believed in it. You know, I was, I was sort of thinking, well, maybe I'm right. Now I know that I probably wasn't. And uh, yeah, very excited to see what Prismich can bring up. I mean, I'm probably not going to be a fan of his playstyle in the long run. But today he gave a phenomenal showing against Djokovic, and certainly the the viewing value, the the experience was there for the um, people watching for sure. Second second section, I went maybe a little bit too bold on Benjamin Hassan as Flavio Cobolli qualified the second seed. He just beat everyone without losing a set. I don't know. I guess some of the results that Cobolli has had in, in on hard courts in the past, they just made me think he might be losing to someone here, someone like Benjamin Hassan, for example. And it was a decent match, but in the long run, Cobolli was always in front. I do uh, wonder how he's going to fare against Nicolas Jari now. We mentioned that in Danderit last year, that Koboli on hard courts is like a bit of a... When he's playing someone who, who uh, he can just baseline rally against and like the serve difference isn't there, yeah, sure, he can beat them. But when he played Marterer, for example, in Danderit, right? So Jari kind of works, but at the same time, I guess you can also try to beat Jari off the ground. And like if, if Koboli is just very focused and doesn't give him anything for free, if he's very dis- disciplined... Uh, it's not unreasonable to think that he might have a decent shot there, but I do think that Jari is like a sizable favorite. But yeah, Koboli, uh, also not a pick I landed. I landed 5 out of 16, by the way, in case anyone is interested. It is like mediocre. I think in this draw, it was pretty easy to get 5 points. Uh, last year at the Australian Open, like, almost no one had more than 2 out of 16, right? But this th- in this one, I think getting 5 points, it was fairly reasonable to... To think of that as like an average score for someone who watches a lot of challengers, I would say. No one was getting the third qualifier, right? That was Hugo Grenier, who beats Lyal, Cressy and Mechi Pericard. I had Lyal, who lost to Grenier in the opening round. I was definitely disappointed with how straightforward that loss was for the Estonian. But I guess in the long run, you know, Grenier sort of beat very similar opponents, I would say, especially Cressy and Mechi Pericard, in that he can match them on serve. And at the same time, we all know how consistent he is, how solid he can be. Like, he's a bit of a big serve grinder, right? And I don't know if it isn't a bit of a Magdalinette case. In that Magdalinette, of course, last year, the Australian Open played a few opponents in a row where the matchup dynamics were pretty much the same. She got super used to it, and she managed to even make the semis and even scare Sabalenka in the opening set. Whereas here, I think Grenier might also be in a situation like this. So personally, I'm not really giving him that much of a chance against Alexander Miller. I think it would be a good opportunity for Miller to just show, you know, how much he's sort of grown as a main tour player and confidently beat him. But whether he's going to do it, let's see. Uh, the fourth section was Lloyd Harris qualifying, and that was actually the, the first pick that I got right. He beats Rincon, Jacquet, and Gaston. Gaston losing just two games. I guess I didn't expect it to be this this easy, but yeah, uh, Harris was really good in Canberra. Uh, of course, he's a player who was before like 31st in the world, so I think for me it was a pretty obvious pick, actually, that I should be going for that. Maybe I was thinking of Zhukayev as well, who didn't do that poorly, but lost to two, he lost in two sets to Gaston in the second round. Uh, but yeah, uh, a bit disappointed actually with what Lloyd Harris did in the main draw because he was playing Quentin Alice and right now it was pretty clear that Harris is the informed player there. But I guess Quentin Alice, of course, it, it's a safe fest between them. Alice actually played a very good match, probably one of his best in in, in a while. So I can't be too um, upset about that either. I really like both players. And um, then uh, I think the second round for Alice will be Korda or Kopriva. And I was thinking that Harris could upset Korda. So maybe this will now transfer to Alice simply. Maybe Alice will be the player who either upsets or just pushes Korda very close. 
The fifth section, we've got Jesper de Jong qualifying. Um, he beats Raul Brancaccio, he beats Felipe Meligani Alves, and then Camilo Gocarabelli. And interestingly, it was that third match which was the toughest. So um, that day in Melbourne, and I'm going to get back to that later. By the way, this is also my, my second point because I, I did pick Jesper. Uh, when it comes to um, the weather in Melbourne, on the final qualifying round, it was like horrible, you know, no clouds whatsoever, over 30 degrees, 35, maybe even tops at some points. And a few, uh, th there was a moment when like, if you were jumping between streams, then on every single court, you would have someone who was barely walking, but not De Jong and Hugo Carabelli. And it was actually a very physical match. So I think for De Jong, this is pretty amazing because uh, as we know, he had like mono in the past. He had some issues with his fitness. He even finished his career, uh, career. <laughs> he even finished his season in 2023 with an abrupt sort of injury in September. But now he's clearly back. And against Hugo Carabelli, it, you know, it wasn't an easy match for him, which I guess on hard courts you wouldn't really expect. But I think surviving it physically, that was amazing. And I loved uh, his performance against Kachin today as well. He already won his first round. Everything else from here is going to be a bonus because he's playing Sinner in round two. So, of course, if he loses, there's nothing wrong about it. If he loses 0-3, again, really no harm done whatsoever. I think he should just be able to play that match pretty freely and know that this is just this is just the bonus. He's he's done his work at the Australian Open. And of course, if an opportunity pops up, then he should be able to try to take it. And uh, yeah, the sixth qualifying section was Vitkov Shiva, actually, who beats Calvin Emery, Oriol Roca Bataya and Oliver Crawford. No sets lost on the way to his first Grand Slam main draw and on hard courts as well. I mean, Copriva likes uh, sort of fast-paced um, rally, taking everything early, right? Especially of the backhand side. So I guess it's not that surprising that he can produce a decent level on hard courts. But also it has to be mentioned that the, the quality of the draw was pretty weak there. Emery, uh, Roca Bataya and Crawford, yeah. So Copriva, as I already mentioned, is playing Sebi Korda. And I actually don't think he has a shot, but well, you will see. But that seems too tough. Seventh section, it's my third point with Aleksandar Kovacevic, who beat Gofier on Klen, uh, Vitali Sachko and Shintaro Mochizuki. As we all know, Kovacevic can make a bit of a hustle out of an easy draw. This was not an easy draw, though, I think. Although he was clearly like the best player in the section for me. That's why I went with him. It wasn't that easy. 10-7 in the final set tiebreak against Onklen in the first round. That beat Sachko in a couple of tiebreaks. He also loses the first set to Mochizuki. But he did step up when needed. And I think this is good progress for Kovacevic. He is playing against Alejandro Tabilo in the first round, which I do consider it like to be a 50-50 match. I know Tabilo has just won um, a title, of course, at the ATP 250 level in Auckland. But I would still consider Kovacevic-Tabilo to be like a very, very even match. And now we're going at the eighth section. I had Gabriel Diallo here and he loses in the final qualifying round to um, Gavi Goffin. And, and by the way, I just realized that I didn't say who was my pick in the uh, Vilkop Shiva section. It was Filip Sekulic, who had a horrible, horrible showing. The youngster from Australia, he lost to Oriol Rokabataya on hard courts. And that, was, that match was just... I mean, he would literally play every forehand two meters behind the court. I don't understand like what what the deal with that was. I think it really just showcased all the weaknesses he has, which is a horrible backhand. Like he would actually lose rallies backhand to backhand with Roca Bataya. And Roca Bataya, the Spanish clay grinder, is probably like one of the players on the tour who is most desperate to avoid hitting anything of his backhand. So yeah, I mean, that kind of says it all, I think. It was such a brilliant opportunity as well for Sekulic because he had Roca Bataya then uh, Kopshiva then Crawford, right? So a, a draw that really he could have handled. He didn't get Passaro or Martinez or even Ivashka in the final qualities round. But, but well, what can you do? In the eighth section, as I said, Gabriel Diallo was my pick and he lost to Gavit Goffin. I have to say that Diallo was one of the players who was really struggling with the heat. Now, I don't know if Goffin still wouldn't have won because Goffin honestly was playing very well the, the, the whole uh, week as well. He, uh, especially the win against Billy Harris was quite vital for Goffin because Harris was just blasting every single shot for the first set and a half. And uh, Goffin couldn't do much about it. Like the whole timing advantage that he bases his game upon, it was gone. Like, Harris was just not allowing any of that. But eventually, Goffin ends up taking it to the um, main draw, where he plays Ugo Umber. 
And I think, you know, at least to take a set, he does have a pretty good chance. Umber was sick in Brisbane. He didn't play for, well, he had to withdraw. And then, um, I don't know, may maybe that also leads to him having just some issues early on with David Goffin. I would expect Goffin to take a set at least. Maybe win, but we'll see. Uh, ninth section, we've had Jakub Mesic qualifying. I went for the other uh, player from that uh, insane round one pairing in Brandon Nakashima. But Menchik won another match with Nakashima after Canberra. He was just, again, so dominant on serve. Brandon's return did not hold up. Uh, he was just uh, overwhelming Nakashima with the pace that he has. And it was a stunning showing, really, from the from the Czech youngster. I, I was absolutely uh, amazed with how well he played. And kudos to him for that, of course. And even when it got tougher later on, he played Gaio, he played Mayo. And it actually was, in a way, tougher than against Nakashima because they were forcing him to play more and like asking maybe the question of whether he is fully ready to like construct points on a very high level to build up the rallies. I don't know if his reaction was really that amazing because when he played against Gaio, like for example, every important point, he would just even speed up even more on his forehand, which I don't know if it's right. But anyway, he did make all of them literally. And he has a fantastic draw. I'm so excited for the Menshik matches. First, it's Shapovalov, who I think is the underdog against Menshik right now. Uh, given that Shapovalov played only one match against Ofner and his return was just horrible. So I think Menshik will have a good shot there. Uh, just because, you know, you put Menshik's serve against Shapo's return right now and you it, it seems like it should work out for the check. And also, then second round, he could play Hurkac. And I think he would be very live there as well. I think maybe Menchik for the most part with how raw and inexperienced he is, he kind of would struggle more against, yeah, um, someone more baseline oriented than, than in, a, in a big serving contest. I think in a big serving contest, he's going to be able to just stay on top of his sort of, yeah, issues coming from age, from the lack of experience. That's what I think. And I actually am so excited to catch him in the main draw as well. But yeah, I did I was, I did actually go for Nakashima. I figured if they play twice, maybe they go 1-1. But actually, no. Jakub Mesic won both matches. Hamad Medjedovic did not qualify in the 10th section. He lost to, he lost to Abdullah Shelbaich. And the worst thing is Shelbaich didn't even qualify himself. He lost to Omar Jasika, who was one of the most unexpected qualifying performers. Um, I think it was a bit of an ideal run for him because he played Stina, he played Svaida, he played Shelbaich. So all players who like don't have overwhelming power and he could sort of get into these, you know, lefty rallies with them, especially with Shelbaich, of course. And uh, I think in the main draw, he's not going to do well. He plays Hurkacz and that seems like a bit of a foregone conclusion to me. Uh, when it comes to Medjedovic, uh, a bit of, a bit disappointing for him not to make it. Um, he had some leads. He had some leads against Shelbaich, but also I have to say that Abdullah was really good in like exploiting the fact that Hamad doesn't have a way to clinch the point other than blasting a big ball. Because whenever Medjedovic would go to the net, there would be a lot of defensive resources to choose from for Shelbaich, and he usually chose right. I mean, this is this is one of his strengths. The 11th section, we've had Lucas Klein qualifying. This is probably one of the easiest ones, right? He beats Trunheriti, Kudla, Napolitano. The only real worry I had here with Lucas Klein, whom I, whom I picked, this is the fourth uh, point I get, uh, was the only real worry here was whether he was going to hold up as the big favorite because he has struggled in the past when the pressure is high. This time he managed to do it. I don't know if he was perfect, but it's good enough for me. He gets a phenomenal start to the year, 6-1. And I believe he also has a good shot in the main draw against Sun Wukwon. Uh, 12th qualifier, it was Jules Zepieri. I think this is one of my worst picks in that I didn't go for him because, of course, he played so well at the event last year. Uh, I'm not really sure why I didn't choose him, why I went Damir Jumhur. I guess I just figured I'm, I want to go for some a veteran who has experience at this level, like, you know, that he can sort of draw from. But yeah, Zepieri was just clearly the best player in the section. He absolutely smashed through the field. And uh, who knows, maybe he's actually going to also win a match in the main draw. He plays Lajovic. And in a way, right now, his game is actually looking more dangerous in conditions like this than on clay. And I think he's going to be bashing the, this lefty servant forehand for Lajovic and sort of ask Dushan if he can invent something, if he can come up with something. And um, to his credit, Lajovic is usually a pretty creative and inventive player. So maybe, maybe he's actually going to do it. 13th qualifier had another shocker, who was Dane Sweeney, the wildcard. Uh, he beats Gigante, Nardi and Berks, which makes it a very tough qualifying draw. I had Zizou and Zizou did have a pretty 
wild match against Sweeney in that he led 7-5, um, 4-2 for the love, missed the chances, and then, then totally like succumbed to the heat. He actually retired in the final round as well. I'm going to mention Zizou later, along with Mochizuki and Gaston as well, when it comes to the lucky losers, whom we already know. But when it comes to Dane Sweeney, he lost to France Rundolo today in five sets. But I think that was still a decent showing. Um, from the get-go, we sort of knew that Fran has too much quality if he's hitting the forehand well. But uh, Sweeney still held up. I, I hear that he was actually pretty aggressive in set one. I didn't watch set one. And then lost in five. And when it comes to the 14th section, we've had Sumit Nagal qualifying. My pick was John Millman, who didn't manage to beat Alex Molchan, and that was the last match of his career uh, that lost to Molchan. Maybe a little bit of a shame that he didn't make the list of Australian Open wildcards, but, uh, well, I also cannot really argue with the picks that were actually made by the Australian Federation. Sumit Nagal, though, qualified without losing a set. I think, in a way, this was also a very good draw for him because usually on hard courts, like, it's still not the baseline game of Nagal that is the problem, right? It's the fact that he doesn't have a serve. And when he's playing Blancano, Winter, and Molchan in a row, there's no one to really expose that. Maybe Winter, but of course, he's still pretty, um, yeah, just young and, and still learning the ropes. So Molchan and Blancano definitely can't really pressure Nagal. And uh, yeah, that was a very nice qualifying section for him. He plays Bublik in a match where I don't think he really gets to decide where the match will go, right? It's just really a matter of which sort of version of Bublik we uh, we get. Uh, 15th section is my last point, and that's Terence Atmane. Terence Atmane, who defeated Juan Manuel Serundolo, Nerman Fatic, and Emilio Nava. And I think the French savant with IQ of 158 was definitely the most impressive in the final round against Nava. He uh, actually had to play on the back foot quite a lot. He saved a ton of breakpoints, I think about over 10. And also in the tie breaks, he was just, not, not only in the tie breaks, even when Nava was approaching the net, he actually was really resourceful and uh, was able to pull back in a lot of points, turn defense into offense, find a great pass, find a good lob. So I think that was a very good performance from Atmane. By the time we uh, they reached the final qualities round, I wasn't too sure about my pick. I actually would have preferred Nava, I think, after his first two performances over Darderi and Bellucci. But in the end, it's a, it's a victory for me. Atmane, uh, he is going to play against Daniel Medvedev. So that's likely a, a loss. Let's be honest. And the 16th qualifier, I love that uh, section because Mate Valkus made it through, the former junior world number one. Uh, he actually is the second of the Hungarian golden generation to play in, play in a slam main draw. Piroz still hasn't done that. And he beat uh, Tunglin Wu, Komesanya and Vavasori. Pretty horrible match from Vavasori uh, in the final qualities round, honestly. But also there were moments when Valkus's like, shot making would still amaze you. So... I am really excited to see him in the main draw. I know he probably will never reach like Maroshan levels, but he is not that weaker, that much weaker in terms of like natural talent, I believe. And of course, uh, if it wasn't for the injuries, he probably would have been in the top 100 a long way before this. Uh, and I think in, in fact that after the Australian Open, he's going to break the top 100 finally, um, long way after that junior number one. Um, ranking, but well, he he has made it. What what counts is that he has made it eventually to the top one, to the top two hundred. And um, yeah, my, my pick in the sixteenth section was Otto Virtanen, who definitely has like the highest hardcore upside of all the players here. But he is still lost, and he only won three games. By the way, there was also the March calendar for the Challenger Tour announced. And the indoor season is very short. Like they, they've gotten rid of a lot of events. So that's not great for Virtanen, which I think will seriously hurt him this year, actually, the, the, the calendar that was just announced for the Challenger Tour. Anyway, uh, as I was um, going to... Oh, actually, Valkus as well. He plays Max Purcell in the opening round. I think it's like remotely winnable, but of course Purcell is the favorite. Uh, it, it's, a bit, it's a bit weird. I, I never really can predict Max Purcell's matches because... The style is just so unique with the slice grinding, but also big serve, but also the disrupting, but the net play. And yeah, I think he can lose to anyone and beat anyone. And when it comes to the lucky losers, just very briefly, Hugo Gaston is going to play against Carbaez Baena. He went in instead of Goyo. Great draw. Uh, definitely like two very different temperaments on the court. I don't really know who's going to win it, but it should be a pretty even affair. That's, that's all I can say. Shintaro Mochizuki, he's going to play... Um, hmm. 
<laughs> now I don't remember who Mochizuki is going to play. But I'm going to tell you that Zizou Bergs, he went in instead of Matteo Berrettini. And Zizou Bergs is going to play Stefan Tsitsipas. And I'm actually super pumped for this match. I think that Zizou has a good skill set against Tsitsipas. He has a good skill set in terms of attacking that backhand weakness. Of course, the execution and also his ability to deliver when it comes to the crunch, that will be tested. But I, I do. I do like his chances quite a lot. Oh, and now I know why I don't remember Mochizuki, because Mochizuki is already out of the event. He lost to Thomas Mahaj in three sets. There were some questions regarding Mahaj's fitness, but I think by the time we realized he's okay, he's healthy, he was clearly the better player over Mochizuki. He was always going to be. And uh, yeah, that's going to be it from the Australian Open. In a week, I'm also going to maybe mention some of the qualifiers that have done well or maybe disappointed. But uh, for now, that's it from Australian Open qualities. And let's just focus on the four previews that we have. We have a Challenger 100 in Tenerife, Challenger 75 in Nontaburi. We finished the Nontaburi swing. And we also have two more Challenger 50s, one of them in Indian Wells. Yes, the Indian Wells Tennis Garden, that same venue. And also the second event in Buenos Aires. So yeah, let's let's do it. Uh, Tenerife, uh, the biggest one, let's start there. Fabio Fognini takes a wildcard to play Matteo Martino. Then a qualifier or Ridi, so Ridi flying over from his title in Oeiras. There's also Escoffier playing a qualifier and Janvier or a qualifier. Brandon Nakashima faces Martin Landaluce. I mean, if Nakashima loses to Menchik twice and Landaluce for the third weekend in a row, sort of to a, to a great junior, he's going to be pretty pissed. Then we also have Paul Martin Tifon playing Alejandro Morocanias. Daniel Rincon takes on Maestrelli. And another fantastic match with two players coming over from the qualifying. Also Rinko and Maestrelli are coming from the qualifying. But this one is better, I think. Shellback Vitanen. Of course, a lot of that will depend on, on what sort of version of Otto we see. Melgeni Alves plays Kuzmanov. Then Brancaccio are a qualifier. You've got Dam Kukushkin and Blanca Noper. Sixth seed is Pablo Yamas Ruiz playing Alibek Kachmazov. Adrian Andreev faces a qualifier. Pedro Martinez is the second seed playing a qualifier. And then Berankis or Agamenone. Uh, this is a very tough draw to pick out from. I have some ideas for the rest, I think for the other events, but not really here. So when it comes to the qualifying, we've got a great match like EFCAF Gaubas in the in the final round tomorrow. Valentin Royer plays Nino Serdarusic. This is also really good. Uh, Hertz, McHugh. So even that is pretty stacked, but I think the quality of the draw sort of has to make us go for something else here. Fonini as the wildcard, I don't know if I want to pick him to win a hardcore challenger now, but it, it is a possibility, I'm thinking about it. In fact, he, he could play Ridi in the second round, but he will be like rested, uh, well rested, Ridi won't be, it's also not indoors, which is always the preferred conditions for, for Leandro. I guess I might just go Fabio then. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna try Fabio. Uh, I think if it wasn't for the fact that Dam was in the final last week and kind of struggling physically at the end, I would maybe go Dam here. I really like his draw. I think he is like his quarter contains a lot of either washed up players or like non-hardcore players. But uh, yeah, I cannot really go for anyone from the bottom half in general because the fourth quarter has Pedro Martinez as the second seed and Martinez really disappointed me at the Australian Open qualities. Played a very poor match against Passaro. So, uh, yeah, in the end, I think Nakashima is also a possibility, but I don't want to pick Nakashima as he's facing Landaluce, and I, I mostly want to see that match. I think Brandon is the favorite, but I don't think he's like the prohibitive favorite. I know bookies are probably going to have it like this. Nakashima was also a massive favorite against Menchik the past couple of weeks. But you know what? I'm still going to go with, Landru, uh, with Fabio Fogni. No, actually, you know what? Yeah, okay, I'm changing it last minute. Let's go Brandon Nakashima. Because theoretically, he should be better than all the players in this draw, right? I mean, I am expecting a top 100 return from him pretty quickly. Nothing spectacular, like no spectacular results, but, but a top 100 return. So I'm actually going to go with Brandon Nakashima. If he loses to Landalusa, fine. I'm going to be happy with it because then another very talented youngster wins. So yeah, let's, let's, let's switch it to Brandon Nakashima because I can't, can't honestly say that if they meet in the semifinals, Nakashima Fonini, I would be backing Fonini on a hard court right now. No, I wouldn't. So I, I, I actually want to go Nakashima. Nontaburi, the third event, as I said, Vacheron not defending the title. Guinard also decided to withdraw from the qualies. So who's playing here? Duja Idukovic, Idukovic, the top seed, plays Stefano Travaglia. Then Tanapet Chanta, a Thai wildcard that I don't really know, is going to face a qualifier. 
Mateo Gigante is here, also a qualifier for him, and then Uncleon Ortabur. Uh, he is Brauer, plays Ryan Peniston, and then Tunglin Wu or Mark Layal. Maximus Jones, the Thai wildcard that I already mentioned, beating Donskoy last week, he plays Jason Jung, and then Aziz Dugas or Sachko. We've got Dalibor Strina facing Passaro in this very weird match on the hardcore, I guess. Then Yusius Su or a qualifier. Jules Marie is here playing a qualifier. And Shima Bukuro is the third seed playing a qualifier. And um, Bellucci Oliveira, another decent match. Uh, Denis Novak faces Kasidit Samrei. There's also Billy Harris playing Benjamin Hassan, which is an insane opener. And one of them will face Roka Bataya or a qualifier. So, what are we doing here? Uh, when it comes to the qualifying, there's this match of the year candidate between Santian and Tomic. That will be wild tomorrow. I wonder if I'm going to have time to watch it since it's likely going to be during the Australian Open matches. So sort of we'll see depending on the scheduling. Uh, Donskoy, Weber. I mean, just Donskoy is probably a threat only. Weber, not really. Uh, Sandgren playing Squire. I also kind of want to see that. Nicolas Moreno de Alboran is here. Barely beat Alafia Ayeni. Moreno Dalboran, of course, ranked significantly higher than the qualifying field. He just signed. He just didn't sign up in time, and in fact, he would have been the which which seed in the main draw, like third or fourth. So, uh, yeah, definitely, he's a pretty important uh, part of this draw as well. I'm not gonna be going for him though. I wanna go for something a little ballsy, but let's try Mar Mark Layal. You know, I I know I've been bigging him up to do great things today. I recently told my friend, a friend of mine who was like not really fully on the Lyle train that I think the Antwerp run last year, it really told me all I needed to know because that was such a different, mature version of his game. So that is, it, it exists somewhere, you know? And the moment he starts unleashing it onto the tour on a weekly basis, I think he could really rise at some point in the future. Uh, pretty pretty uh, quickly. So I'm gonna try Marc Royale. I know it's ballsy, the draw isn't that good, but I, I really wanna make this. I, I, I really wanna make this happen. <laughs> and otherwise, who would I pick? I, I don't really know. Idukovic isn't that consistent on hard. Yeah, that second quarter has Brower, Peniston, and that's the problem, I guess, for Royale, but also Sachko. But the others are a little like wild and it's hard to find someone. Haris Hassan, you don't wanna pick out of that. So yeah, I'm, I'm actually gonna go with Marc Royale. Why not? And then we also have two Challenger 50s. Let's maybe start with the Buenos Aires one, the event that we've already seen. And this is a very exciting wildcard here, Mariano Navone. And this is one of the rare cases when to a Challenger 50, we are using one of these wildcards that are either for players ranked 51 to 100 or for players ranked 101 to 150. So Navone decides to do it. With the new uh, point distribution at the challenger level, I think to, to really make it worth it for him, he kind of needs to make the final here. Um, so I, I don't know what I think about this decision, but well, as I said, he took a set of Dino Prismic at the Australian Open qualifying. I mean, he, he has to be playing pretty okay. He is facing Gonzalo Bueno, the champion from uh, Buenos Aires last week in the opening round, but I think that's a confident Navona favorite in the opening in the opening round. Then uh, a couple of qualifiers he can face. Then also there's Gianluca Mager playing Nicolas Kicker in a blast from the past match between the between two former top 100 players. Lucas Neumeyer uh, is facing Murkel Delian. Santiago Faro Rodriguez Taverna playing uh, Gustavo Haide. Uh, Guillen Meza facing a qualifier. Again, we've got Fonseca playing Eduardo Lavagno now, and then Krutek or Alexander Weiss. I think I'm not going to be picking Fonseca this time. The quality of the draw is just a little higher. Well, actually, it's significantly higher than last week, which is why I want to go for something else. Josef Kovalik, the fifth seed, plays Juan Bautista Torres, then Popko or a qualifier. Popko, of course, with a special exempt, just like Bueno. We've got Sanchez Izquierdo playing a qualifier and the fourth seed Colarini also plays a qualifier. Facundo Bagnis plays Timo Stoder. That's a pretty good opener, I think. Fikovic Olivo. They've had some clashes in the past which were pretty high, like intense, but mostly at altitude, I guess. There's also Tristan Boyer playing the second seed Genaro Alberto Olivieri. Would it be bold to say Tristan Boyer is the favorite there? I don't think so, but I also am not really sure. But uh, we'll see. I don't. I don't see the odds on that one, uh, which would be pretty interesting to me. And then Liam Drags plays João Lucas Reis da Silva. Uh, I have an idea as to who to pick here. I also don't think you will be surprised by my idea. Uh, let me tell you who has already, like by the time of the recording, made it to the second round of the qualies. Is interesting players. Let's say Taberner, Valerio Aboyan, Campania Lee 
yeah, Villanueva. Sakamoto is beating Borg right now. Alves Mejia, that's a pretty good one. Sviatoslav Gulin, the one, the Russian guy who made the Mas Palomas, uh, whatever it was, semi or a quarter at the end of the year, is also here playing Felix Gil. And this is an interesting one as well between Hocus and Escobedo. Still don't really get what Escobedo is doing here. Like, why he isn't he playing in Indian Wells? But, well, uh, it's his call and uh, he's trying to play on clay for some reason. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to really extend it too much. My pick is Nomeriano Novone. I just think he's a bit too good for the field. Um, bueno, start, starting with Bueno isn't easy. Then maybe a quarter of like Mager or Murkeldelian or Neumayer or even Kicker. It, it's not the easiest draw in the world. I just think if we see Mariano Navone playing at 80% of what he had at the end of last year, he will be a big threat here. If we see 95% of what Navone played last year, he is going to win the title. So, uh, yeah, I think he might be a little too strong for this draw. And that's why I have to go with the top seed. I have to uh, gravitate towards Mariano Navone. That is my idea for, for this title. And I think ever since I saw Navone's name in the draw, I was like, yeah, okay. So I'm, I'm definitely going Navone here. And I still haven't changed my mind. And when it comes to the Indian Wells Challenger, it's pretty exciting that this venue is going to be used more, but the draw honestly is... Uh, like, it, it has a few good names. The depth, though, it's kind of off. Let's start with the fact that Federico Gallo is the top seed, and he's going to play uh, Omni Kumar. Then Nishesh Basavaredi, that's going to be interesting, of course, because he had that final last year and seems to be a huge prospect, is facing Marfi Casson. We've got Paul Jab with the protected ranking, playing a qualifier and then a qualifier or the Brew. Mitchell Kruger plays a qualifier and then Benjamin Locke or Lucas Gerch. We also have Giovanni Oradini and Sebastian Fanslow battling against each other and Lerner Teen facing a qualifier. Teen, of course, the uh, two-time Grand Slam runner-up last year in the juniors. That's going to be quite exciting. When he was 16, he took a set of Kuzmanovic at the US Open. And in the bottom half, we've got Aidan Mayo playing James Kent Trotter, so a lot of college players here. Vasek Pospisil is back playing Daniel Zuckerman. Strong Kirschheimer, speaking of, by the way, of college players, Zuckerman as well, of course. Strong Kirschheimer plays a qualifier and then Blaise Bickner or Brandon Holt. We've got Tyson Kwiatkowski playing Bruno Kuzuhara, another Grand Slam Juniors champ. So as you can see, there are big names in this draw, but I think overall it, it is kind of disappointing. But anyway, uh, Kwiatkowski, Kuzuhara, then Tim Handel, another college player, faces a qualifier. Well, a former college player, but still. And then we have Ivan Zhu and Ryan Segerman. Segerman, part of that amazing duo last year that was just destroying the, the challenger titles in doubles along with Tr Patrick Trach. And uh, Ishai Oliel faces second seed Marco Trujeliti. I do have an idea as to who, to who to pick here. Let me look at the qualifying first, though, as maybe we will spot someone there. Uh, Ajit Rai, uh, Bor Artnak, if he qualifies. I think Bor Artnak probably used his accelerator for that right let me let me check that but Boratnak does have a qualifying accelerator in the juniors so I would assume that's what he did but maybe he actually has a ranking that's good enough no he actually has a ranking that's good enough yeah oh, interesting uh he actually is, is 530 in the rankings so he didn't he didn't have to use his accelerator um yeah what are we what are we going for here in the qualifying anyone else that's kind of interesting um Ponwith, maybe he could go deep. Stefan Kozdov, by the way, that that will be an exciting watch, or maybe not, depending on his form. He is currently 787th in the ATP rankings. That's insane. Nicolas Gotsik also playing that uh, qualifying event. That's the son of Tony Gotsik, Federer's agent, and Mary Jo Fernandez's, I think. I think. Yeah, I think it's Mary Jo Fernandez and Tony Gotsik. And um, also Noah Rubin playing, and apparently he recently said that he's like feeling better than ever. So you now it's time for him to show it. In Oyerash, he was like pretty okay, let's say. And uh, yeah, my idea for this title is gonna be Paul Job. I think he was good enough in Oyerash. Uh, he might be getting back to like a challenger winning or like at least challenger uh, reaching deep stages of challengers level. He lost in bo uh, both in Oirash 1 and Oirash 2. He lost in the second rounds, but he lost to João Souza and he lost to Martin Dam. So clearly there's nothing wrong with that. And that's why I am choosing Paul Job. Um, I wonder I wonder if he's gonna actually go very deep here. Paul De Bru uh, Paul De Bru Paul Job. Uh, Gabriel De Bru in the second round. That's kind of tricky. 
but then maybe unless it's Basavaredi, then the quarter can be easier. And after that, I guess everyone in the draw is in the, like a similar level. I was even thinking of Pospisil, just because there are a couple of players here, and well, Jab is probably one of them, but Pospisil even more so, who like at his best is much better than the rest of the field. But of course, we just have no intel in terms of Vasek's performance, so I'm actually going to choose Paul Jab instead. I think it's it's probably the more sensible idea right now. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Of course, with Pospisil, it's it's just such a mess because he only played like 20 matches in 2023 and we just don't really know what sort of level he's going to show and whether he's even healthy. Uh, but anyway, for today, that's going to be it. We are over the one hour mark. We discussed all the Australian Open qualifying results. We uh, re previewed the Challenger events in Indian Wells, Buenos Aires, Nontaburi, and uh, where? Tenerife. And also, of course, uh, we did cover the, the recaps. So I'll see you guys in seven days when we're going to discuss these events that I previewed today. As I said, maybe I'm going to give a brief mention to the Australian Open qualifiers as well, if there's anything to talk about, really. Uh, the big story today was definitely djokovic Prismic, but, uh, well, for next week, of course, uh, there are going to be a, a lot more players who might also produce something from the qualifying draw, especially if Menchik beats Hurkacz, then we're definitely going to talk about him. And, uh, yeah, I'll see you guys next time. 